Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Findlay Mayor Christina Mern will join us with more information about her latest initiative, a newsletter to keep citizens informed about the happenings in local government. Also, it is Inauguration Day today, and in our ongoing Keeping the Faith series, today's inauguration will be full of prayers and references to God, concepts that are so simple yet so mysterious to many Christians. If Donald Trump's presidency was an experiment in hiring a businessman to run the country four years later, what conclusions can be drawn? And after taking the oath of office, Joseph R. Biden Jr. would deliver the most significant speech of his lifetime. Some of the most iconic statements about America and what it means to be an American have come from the inaugural speeches of U.S. presidents through the years. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, January 20th, 2021. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, cloudy and cold today with a high around 28, partly cloudy tonight, a low around 25. Donations are pouring in for the family of a Toledo police officer killed in the line of duty. Police Chief George Crawl says Officer Brandon Stalker was everything you would want in a police officer. He was an amazing police officer. The chief says the Toledo Police Federal Credit Union has opened an account in Officer Stalker's name and 100% of the donations will go to his family. Officer Stalker leaves behind a fiancé and two young children. A GoFundMe account has also been set up to raise money for the fallen officer's family, and we have a link to it on our website. A pop-up testing site for COVID-19 will be available in Tiffin today. The Ohio Department of Health says, uh, says anybody can get a free test, and no appointment or referral is necessary. Quantities may be limited, however. The pop-up testing site will be at the Seneca County Fairgrounds from 10 to 2 today. Get details on it and other upcoming testing opportunities on our website. The City of Finley has received another donation for its new training complex for emergency responders. Campbell Soup Company has donated twenty-five grand to the Strict Center Project. Strict standing for Simulated Tactical Response and Incident Command Training. Other donations include funding from the Finley Hancock County Community Foundation, Marathon, the Hancock County Firefighters Association, and many other entities. The estimated cost of the complex is a million dollars, with construction funding from a joint effort of public, private, and nonprofit funds. See designs on the project on our website. Finley Mayor Christina Mern is starting a newsletter in an effort to improve communication with residents. She says the newsletter will include things like updates on city projects and legislation, committee updates, city performance, and a new Citizen of the Month program. Mern says the newsletter will be released at least monthly beginning at the end of this month or at the beginning of February. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Today, if you are looking for a reason to celebrate today, it is Camcorder Day. <laughs> I saw that. You remember, I remember years ago lugging around the big camcorders whenever you went somewhere. You know, you had to lug around this big honking camcorder to capture those memories. And people did. I remember lugging a big old camcorder around Disney World, Walt Disney World. Years ago. You don't want to miss any of those moments. Camcorder day today. Do you still have a camcorder? I don't know. Do they still make camcorders? I mean, I know they're very, you know, a lot smaller now, obviously, than 
they were back in the day. But, uh, I mean, most of us can take video with our phones. Do we even have camcorders? It is the International Day of Acceptance. It is Museum Selfie Day. National Butter Crunch Day. National Cheese Lovers Day. National Disc Jockey Day. So, kiss your favorite disc jockey today. Uh, Penguin Awareness Day. It is Take a Walk Outdoors Day. (laughs) It might be a little chilly to do that. Why do we have that in the middle of January? Why don't we have that in, like, May or June or something? And, of course, it is Inauguration Day today as well, so there is that. Speaking of taking a walk outdoors, this was kind of interesting. A lot of folks, of course, will get up early in the morning, first thing, go out and take a walk, take a jog. In a morning constitutional, you may wonder if there is really an optimal time to do a workout. And science says, yes, there is. A study published last year out of Spain finds a correlation between exercising in the morning and a reduction in the risk of certain types of cancer. The optimal time, they say, between 8 and 10 a.m. Now, it should be noted the study was small and does not prove causation, but there does seem to be some relationship. Another study finds that people who were able to work out harder in the evening... Uh, while other studies suggest another study found that people were able to work out harder in the evening. If they worked out in the evening, they tended to work out harder. Uh, And other studies suggest that afternoons and evenings are when your reaction time is its quickest. But the take-home message is that the benefits of working out are numerous, and so the best type of workout is one that you'll do regularly at whatever time of day it may be. And if you are trying to make it a habit, it helps to choose a time slot that you're likely to stick to every day. I find that that's the key. I'm still working on that. Uh, My wife and I have made this kind of our resolution to get more exercise and not just lounge around (laughs) as much, especially after the last year. i got to get moving again. And finding that right time of day is... Uh, For me, anyway, the biggest challenge is something kind of interesting. To go along with Take a Walk Outdoors Day, the Mega Millions jackpot continues to soar. No big winner in last night's drawing, and that pushes the jackpot up to $970 million now, with a cash option of more than $716 million. Wow, three quarters of a billion dollars after taxes next drawing is friday and ahead of that of course tonight's powerball drawing 730 million dollars in that jackpot and what is it about a half a billion dollars after taxes man everybody got lottery fever i think even if you don't have lottery fever that you're uh buying tickets i think everybody's thinking what would i do if Three quarters of a billion dollars just landed in my lap. The answer, of course, anything you want to. (laughs) Anything you want is what you would do. Some other uh, stories here among the first things you need to know this morning, the most buzzworthy stories of the day. Do you realize that it has been nearly a year 
that many of us have been sheltering in place because of the pandemic. Almost a full year. And as a result, many of us have ditched our regular clothes for sweatpants. At least part of the time. You, you know, working at home or you're spending more time at home. Even if you're not working at home, you're spending more time at home because there are fewer things going on that would take you out of the house. And so a lot of us have ditched our regular attire for extreme casual wear. But psychologists believe that even when nobody else will see you, how you dress has the power to influence your mental health and your general level of productivity. And the actual impact of getting dressed uh, varies... It says the actual impact of getting dressed varies from person to person. Uh, Tracy Thomas, a psychologist, uh, says putting effort into your appearance, even the tiniest bit, is one of the most important things that people can do for their emotional, mental, and psychological health. She says daily grooming rituals are a sign of celebrating life and says these little celebrations are especially important right now. So not only... Does it make a difference in your mental state, your overall well-being? It is even more important now, ironically, at a time when probably fewer of us are doing it. Licensed clinical psychologist Shiva Asar says if we are wearing athleisure when working out, going to brunch, um, and even when working, it could potentially impact our ability to transition into work mode when we're wanting to focus on work. So what we are wearing helps us in making those transitions. The experts add that creative types in particular might feel the emotional benefits of their wardrobe more than non-creative people. See, I would think it would be the other way around. But anyway, the final piece of advice, pick clothing and grooming practices that make you feel the most confident and comfortable. Well, wait a minute. Pick uh, clothing that makes you feel most comfortable, but don't wear... Your sweats (laughs) get dressed for work. I'm much more comfortable in my sweats. So seems to be a conflicting advice. But I can see the point that uh, when you are just wearing your sweat pants or your PJs around the house, you definitely it definitely affects how productive you are. You know, on the weekends when I just lounge around all day, that's what I'm lounging around in. But the question is, am I just lounging around because I'm in my PJs or do I leave myself in my PJs just because I'm going to lounge around. I mean, which way is it? I don't know. Anyway, I just thought that was kind of interesting. And finally, among the first things you need to know this morning, the most buzzworthy stories of the day, do you have a uh, high school junior or senior in the home? This is interesting. The College Board, which administers the SAT, says that it is getting rid of the college admission test's optional essay as well as its separate subject tests. It'll just be one Big test moving forward and without the optional essay. The organization said in a statement, as students and colleges adapt to new realities and changes to the college admissions process, the college board is making sure our programs adapt with them. We're making some changes to reduce demands on students. And by the way, this is not just a temporary change. It is the way it will be moving forward comes as schools have temporarily dropped college admissions tests altogether, largely the SAT and ACT, amid the coronavirus pandemic. So they're trying to kind of 
get back into being relevant again. Uh, those changes come as a growing number of students and parents say the admissions tests should be optional and aren't a true reflection of students' intelligence or academic ability. So, kind of interesting. Uh, changes coming to the SAT. And it doesn't say whether these will be taking effect immediately or next year or the next round of tests. I don't know when, but uh, some big changes to the SAT, the way... We know it from the days that we took it. Uh, very different from the way our kids will. So anyway, there you go. Some of the most buzzworthy stories, the most interesting and most important things you need to know to start off your Wednesday morning. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. And now our cover story this morning. Finlay Mayor Christina Mern is with us in the studio with some more information about her latest initiative, which is a newsletter to keep citizens informed about the happenings in local government. Mayor Mern, first of all, thanks very much for being with us. We appreciate it. My pleasure. So talk a little bit about the impetus uh, for this idea, this newsletter here. Yeah, it's something I've really wanted to do for a, for a while Uh we're always looking for ways to communicate to citizens. And mm -hmm. it's so challenging right now where uh, folks are inundated um, on social media or, you know, they some folks read the newspaper, some people don't. Some people listen to the radio, some people don't. And so I was really just trying to find another way where we could give kind of a monthly synopsis is my plan at this point, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, to kind of start in a manageable fashion to just kind of give a, a synopsis of what has happened, what's going on. So, We'll probably include things like construction projects that are planned for the next couple of weeks, mm -hmm. um, you know, things that are, you know, topics that might be on the city council agendas and update on the finances. So a little bit of everything. And because uh, initially the, the question I'm sure uh, raised in a lot of people's minds is, uh, is this really necessary? You've got the Facebook page, you've got the website. Right. I mean, these are all ways of communicating basically the same information. It, you know, it, it is, but I would say when you put something on social media, for instance, mm -hmm. you kind of hit that immediate group of people and then it fades away. And so what I wanted to be able to do is there will probably be a recap of some of the things that we share on social media. Mm -hmm. um, and I might start sharing additional information on social media. But I think it's just it's a good way to kind of put everything in one spot where folks can look at it. It's, this isn't going to be something that's competing with our other news outlets. It's something that helps continue to reiterate it. And I think something for folks to remember is that individuals have to see information seven times before it really registers. Yeah, and so the, you know, the more that I can get information in front of them, I want people to know what's going on in their city government and what position um, their community is in and what's going on and when meetings are. And so if we can get that in front of them kind of again and again, hopefully they will feel more informed and, you know, encouraged to share their opinions on topics that are going on. Uh, well, that is certainly something that a lot of folks are, are <laughs> not uh, afraid to do. So um, now the next question then becomes, 
how will this be compiled and who will be compiling uh, <laughs> this? Because uh, folks may remember that this is not really the first time right. that this idea has been floated. And it's actually been tried uh, to varying degrees of success uh, in the past. Um, is this going to involve additional staffing or are existing people going to put this together? How? What is the logistics <laughs> of this? Yeah, no, it, there will not be any additional staff hired. It'll probably be myself. Uh, my uh, office administrator, Kathy, who's my right hand on, on everything, pretty much, as well as probably Alicia Mitchell in our office, who does a lot of special projects and helps out. So it's information that we kind of compile throughout the month, and then we'll put it into a document to format. Um, at this point, it'll either be like a digital email newsletter, or I'm also thinking of it being kind of like a PDF attached to an email um, or input on our site so people can, you know, print it off if they'd like. Um Kind of, kind of still noodling on what the format will look like, but mm-hmm. no additional staff. It's really something that we're just putting together. And that's the next question: is the delivery method? Is, this is something that would be uh, emailed rather than physically mailed Correct. to someone. Yeah. Home. At this point, we're planning just to start as an email newsletter. Mm-hmm. Um, we may, you know, print it off and put it at a couple of locations downtown, especially as we get started. So folks that may not even realize it's out there can kind of pick it up and be like, "Oh, well, you know, I might be interested in signing up for it this." It certainly <laughs> is a valid point. That uh, again, you talk about reaching people who uh, are not on. On social media, there are a small but <laughs> a substantial uh, portion of the community that aren't online right. at all. Right. So. so, yeah, so it's just figuring out kind of the best delivery method. So far, we have over 250 people that have signed up just since Friday. So I'm happy with that. Um, and I think we'll kind of see how it grows. And eventually, depending on how large the audience is, we can look at other delivery methods. But really just trying to get folks to sign up, see what the interest level is. We'll kind of evolve it as it goes um one other item i'm excited about is we're going to be starting this month a citizen of the month recognition so i actually have a citizen that has already uh-huh. been, been selected uh-huh. they don't they don't know it so i'm very excited to surprise them and okay. announce that um it's not me is it it's not oh, okay. i'm sorry All maybe right. next month <laughs> <laughs> but i was made aware of a citizen who really kind of stepped up to the plate in a difficult situation and i'm excited to be able to recognize them um, but we'll also be, you know, looking for nominations as we move forward in that process. So just finding ways to bring people together, celebrate the good that's going on in the world around us, communicate how our city is operating. And I'm excited. Well, certainly uh, we can all use a little good news mixed in with that as well. Yeah. Uh, we often talk about on the uh, program. And you mentioned that already there's been uh, quite a substantial response. Uh, how do folks sign up for that newsletter? Yep. If you go to finleyohio.com slash newsletter, or just finleyohio.com. It's right on the homepage. Um, You just provide first name, last name, email address. If you're not already signed up for our Everbridge emergency alerts, you can also choose to be added to that at the same time, and we'll put your information in that system as well. And we've got that link up at uh, our webpage as well at goodmornings.net if you want to check that out and sign up for the uh, uh, City of Findlay newsletter. Is there a name? The City of Findlay newsletter. Yeah, I think it's just that for now. (laughs) I'm not coming up with some kitschy name (laughs) quite yet. (laughs) We'll work on that. Um, One other, before we let you go, uh, being that that today is Inauguration Day, I do want to ask you about this, uh, talking about the... uh, 
prospect of working with a new administration, new leadership in mm-hmm. Congress as well. And that may seem like a, a strange thing to ask of a fairly small town <laughs> mayor in northwest Ohio about the uh, change of administration in the nation's capital. But uh, there is some relevance there, particularly uh, with your uh, work involving the U.S. Conference of Mayors. Your thoughts? You know, we have uh, changes of power you know, presidencies on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And uh, you never fully agree with anyone. I certainly don't agree with with all of, uh, you know, President-elect Biden's policies. But when it gets to the really local level, those issues are really not partisan issues. And so my advocacy will continue to be the same, um, giving communities as much laterality as possible Um, taking away as much regulation as possible, making sure that as many tax dollars can come back to our community that, you know, that are ours, and uh, really kind of focusing on on a lot of the issues of housing, infrastructure, all Mm -hmm. of those things. The federal government does play a part in that. And so my advocacy really won't change. Uh, Probably the approach will have to change a little bit. But I know that the U.S. Conference of Mayors um, has a, a good relationship with President-elect Biden and worked closely with the Trump administration as well. And so I look forward to continuing to be engaged and at the table for those conversations. We will leave it there. Again, Finley Mayor Christina Mern, thanks very much for being yeah, thanks for having us. me. Good to Appreciate see you. Appreciate it. Well, in 2016, many Americans were intrigued with the idea of not only electing a Washington outsider, but in particular, electing a businessman as president. Running the country like a business has kind of been discussed in some circles for many years, and the prospect of doing just that was something that many found appealing. So, in these waning hours of the Trump presidency, what conclusions can we draw from that experiment? Dr. Robert Alexander is a professor of political science and the founding director of the Institute for Civics and Public Policy at Ohio Northern University in Ada. And Rob, this was an experiment in that respect, something that the country never really had before. And there have certainly been some economic gains over the past four years, one could certainly argue, uh, came about because the man at the top comes from a business background rather than a political background, no? Well, it's, it's really interesting uh, when, you, when you look back in, in time. And uh, actually in 2015, I, I had written an article saying that uh, the person that was most likely to win the presidency would, would be the, the anybody but Washington candidate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was certainly an outsider's year. And Donald Trump certainly you know, hit the right notes. I said, you know, what do you have to lose? And and he said that I alone can fix it. And I think that the idea of having a business person at the top of our, of our, of our, you know, economy and our society was certainly appealing for a lot of folks. Uh, Somebody who couldn't be bought. That was another thing that you often heard. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he said, you know, I can fix the system because I've taken advantage of the political system. He said that in a Republican debate. So uh, it was certainly appealing for a lot of people. I think that, uh, you know, you saw some gains certainly in the stock market upon his, his election, uh, in particular from the, the perspective of his uh, propensity to cut regulations mm-hmm. uh, and kind of cut some of that, that red tape. Um, so I think that that was certainly something that a lot of people uh, were drawn to with, with Donald Trump. But at the same time, you know, there's, there's been some, some, some issues, uh, you know, running 
the government is not necessarily running the Trump organization. And that's something that he came in, you know, into conflict with many, yeah. many times throughout his presidency. Yeah, uh, certainly maybe the, the, the most highest profile examples being the social justice uh, issues, uh, certainly the pandemic. In both of those cases, it seemed clear that this president was uh, out of his comfort zone, to be sure, and kind of over his head. It seemed to me that he tried to kind of fall back on the business adage of focusing on your strengths, uh, constantly pointing to the uh, low unemployment rate for minorities. Uh, in the case of the social justice protests, he kept going back to that. And in the case of the pandemic, that old sales strategy of making the big things little and the little things big. A and it just didn't work in this case. Well, you know, there's some pretty significant differences in, in you know, being the, the, the head of the Trump organization and being the president of the United States. And one of the things that it was pretty clear uh, is that, uh, you know, running the government is not about running a, it's not about turning a profit. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and it is about checks and balances in, in, a, in a, you know, in a limited government such as ourselves, such, such as the one that the United States has. You don't get to just make a decision and, and run with it. You have other branches of government that are there to check uh, power. And uh, that's the way that the framers set the, the process up. They did not want any individual or certainly any branch to to maintain all of the power. And that's very different from being you know, the, the leader of an organization that bears your name. Mm -hmm. And I think that that was something that, that frustrated Donald Trump uh, throughout his presidency. You could see that he had a lot of he had a lot of acting heads. He liked to, there was a lot of turnover. In fact, there was historic turnover in his cabinet. He, he wanted obedience uh, in his cabinet. Um, and, you know, he had uh, a Senate that uh, was, was Republican throughout his, his presidency. But uh, when, when Democrats took the House in, in uh, 2018, that, that changed things quite a bit for him. But even on the issue of health care, he, he couldn't get that, you know, moving with uh, with with the Republican Senate when John McCain famously gave mm -hmm. his thumbs down right. uh, to repealing uh, the Affordable Care Act. So, again, that's that's in part because, you know, as the leader, you, you don't get to make all the decisions. You have to cooperate with other branches of government. And that's something that, that can frustrate a lot of Americans that, you know, we don't move quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, in making changes in policy, but at the same time, that's exactly the, what our framers wanted. They didn't want a yeah. government that moved too fast to protect us from any kind of potential tyranny. Yeah. Uh, so the the question then, uh, and again, talking about the differences between running the Trump organization and running the country, the question then is is whether the shortcomings that we saw over the past four years were specific to Donald Trump, or would anyone with a purely business background have struggled to navigate those same issues and and make it work as president? Well, there's been a really interesting debate throughout American history on that particular issue. And, uh, and, and you know, a, a lot of folks have really wanted to make the public sector look a lot more like the private sector. Right. And, uh, and, and so, you know, Donald Trump is kind of a manifestation of that. Um, we've seen, you know, even Bill Clinton talked about reinventing government. Al Gore talked about reinventing government mm. to have more contracting, more privatization. Uh, and, and we've seen, you know, that arc over the last 30 years or so. Uh, and in some ways that can be, that can be, that can be a good thing. And then in other ways it might not be such a good thing. So if we're talking about corporations getting involved with prisons, that, that might create some conflicts of interest. Uh, you know, <laughs> when we're talking about the public policy on, 
on criminal justice reform. Um, you know, do we want to contract our police officers? I don't think we necessarily want to do that. Uh, so there are some issues there. Uh, there's definitely some pushback. Um, you know, I, I think with a Biden administration where it's, you know, very kind of um, traditional in what we are likely to see out of uh, a Biden administration, mm-hmm. uh, you know, privatization and, and whatnot will, will continue to occur. But I think that there will be some pulling back on that and probably a little bit more regulation and oversight. Because, again, you know, it, we like the, the, the idea that you could go ahead and do things without less red tape, but that might come at an expense. So if we're talking about vaccine rollouts, we want some oversight over that as well. We, we want to make sure that those vaccines are safe, that mm. they're put, being put in the hands of people that, that should get uh, vaccinated first and then next and, and so on. Um, so those those types of things, you know, red tape is supposed to serve a reason. Uh, you know, sometimes we might not understand that reason. But I think, uh, you know, well, it, it, like I said, it, it's kind of been a debate for throughout America. Yeah. And, and to that end, uh, you know, did we learn anything about the importance of electing politicians to the highest political office in the land? I mean, in the final analysis, um, you know, what did what lessons did we learn from this experiment of uh, having a businessman in charge for four years? It's really difficult to tell because Trump is such a singular figure that is pretty polarizing. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I think it is difficult to kind of to, to, to say too much about that kind of moving forward. Uh, frankly, I think if, if Donald Trump uh, would have gotten off the Twitter uh, much sooner than being forced off of the Twitter, uh, he very well might have won a second term. Mm. Had he said look, we're going to all fight COVID together. We're, we're all in this together. We're going to mask up and we're going to, you know, believe in our civil liberties, but we also need to take care of one another. Had he done that back in, in March of last year, I think he would have cruised to a second term. Um, of course, he didn't. Uh, and part of that is his kind of fighting spirit. He, he likes a fight. Uh, not all businessmen necessarily like a fight. Right. Uh, but, you know, Trump himself, there was, he had pretty historic unpopularity. Uh, throughout his presidency, even before he he uh, took took the oath of office back in two thousand, a lot of people so, forget that. Yeah, you know, he's kind of yeah, he's always been underwater as far as his popularity goes. And and frankly, if it was only about the economy, he would have won a second term. I, I think pretty pretty handily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not necessarily the case. You, you do have candidates, uh, and and Donald Trump is a candidate that that comes with baggage for all the talk about. You know how, how people love Trump. There's a lot more people that that really don't like Donald Trump. They would they would like the, you know a lot of people you hear I like his policy, but I don't know about the guy himself. Right, you exactly. That from pretty steadfast Republicans. So uh, to kind of take that and, and say that you know all businessmen would be like that, I, I'm not so sure that we we found that out yet. But we can see that being in government is something that is probably pretty frustrating to those that are that have spent their life in the business sector. Yeah. And as you point out, the contrast between the political inexperience of the 45th president and the wealth of experience of the 46th is uh, probably more dramatic than at any time in our history. So how that contrast will play out over the next four years will be really interesting to follow. Again, uh, Dr. Robert Alexander, professor of political science, the founding director of the Institute for Civics and Public Policy at Ohio Northern University in Ada. Rob, thanks very much for uh, taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Chris. I really appreciate it. 
being that it is Inauguration Day today, kind of tie that in to our ongoing Keeping the Faith series this morning. The president-elect will begin the day by attending a church service, and then from the invocation to the oath of office, uh, today's festivities will be full of prayers and references to God. Now, these are concepts that, that are so simple, so basic to our faith, and yet the idea of prayer is in many ways very mysterious to many Christians. Correspondent John Clemens, Keeping the Faith, this morning. With more than 20 years of pastoral experience, Jared Stevens has made the mission of his life to connect the dots that will demystify prayer and has authored the book, Praying Through, Overcoming the Obstacles That Keep Us From God. This book really came out of my own life and my own challenges and my own breakthroughs in prayer, as well as many conversations with folks that I have the privilege of pastoring here at Soul City Church in downtown Chicago. And what I've found is that what I've done is I've just overcomplicated prayer. I've at times been frustrated in prayer. I've been stuck in prayer. I've run out of words to pray. And I think what I realized is that I've maybe overcomplicated this thing that's really at the heart of a relationship with God is how we communicate with Him. Pastor Jared believes God will answer our prayers. Maybe not in the way we want, but the prayers will be answered. The whole idea of this book is to re-examine maybe the obstacles that might keep us from God and look at them as invitations to new ways, to fresh ways, to transformative ways to connect with God. And so there's not a prayer you can pray. There's not words that you can say to God that He doesn't hear and that He doesn't care about. We just get uncomfortable when we don't hear immediately back from him. Praying Through is a book that affirms God hears the prayers of even those without a strong faith. Well, I think that God is here and that God hears. That really is. That's why folks who wouldn't necessarily even call themselves people of faith are open to prayer when life hits a wall or when life gets challenging or complicated. Our hope and desire that I believe is hardwired in every human being by God is to connect to God in the deepest way from the deepest place. And so I think at times it's, yes, God, thank you for hearing. And then other times it's, oh God, please, I hope that you're hearing. I hope that you're here. The challenge that is made in the book, Praying Through, is that we can pray to God, but in a way that doesn't make it sound like we're clearing out the inbox of our email. The promise of this book is that there are no three easy steps because that's that's not really how prayer works. And if it were to work that way, where we could just master prayer, we'd be missing the point of prayer. And this is true of me. I want three easy steps to clear out my inbox. That's natural. But prayer is something supernatural. The concern for many is that the communication we have with God at times can seem like sealing prayers that don't reach the ears of God as they fall back to us. There is no prayer uttered that is unheard by God. Every single prayer that we pray, and even the things in our heart that we don't know how to articulate in prayer, all of it is heard by God. I think where we get frustrated is when we don't hear back from God, when we aren't seeing God move in the way that we want or the way that we asked, when we can't see that He has a bigger plan, He has better timing. And so the natural conclusion is, well, He must not have heard me, when the truth is, He's actually right here. He hears everything, and even the words you do don't know how to say. Too many our prayers can seem like a laundry list of what we want, especially when our prayers that name others. 
God knows every single detail about every single person he's created. And so what we're doing is when we pray for someone else, when we are interceding, the word is intercessory prayer, when we're interceding on someone else's behalf, we're actually joining in with the heart of God. And it's also an act of trust, to trust that God actually already knows, has in mind, and is able to do his best for their life. When we're praying for someone else, if we don't have all the details, we can trust that God already does. The book, Praying Through, can help us with any concerns or responding to someone with a common phrase, I'll pray for you. All of us are on a journey to knowing God more and growing in our relationship with him. To me, it's a privilege when anyone will ask me to pray with them or to pray for them. And one of the habits that I've formed was instead of waiting till later, I ask, can I pray for you right now? Can we just pray right now? But that I found people are so open. They long to be prayed for. And so rather than waiting and hoping that you will, I just take the initiative to say, can we just do that right now? Can I pray for you right now? When Christ himself walked the earth, he taught us how to pray because he understood the power of prayer. There's something powerful when you start in your posture of prayer with just acknowledging God, recognizing God. Before you tell him all the things you need from him, to just stop and say, God, you are already enough. You are mighty. You are holy. God, you are so full of grace and mercy. And what Jesus does at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer is he not only starts us there, but he ends the prayer by acknowledging who God is. He is a good and perfect parent who longs for us to bring the desires of our heart to him, but never at the the sake of missing him in the process. Here's how to get in touch with Pastor Jarrett Stevens, author of the book, Praying Through. If anyone wants to connect with me or my writing, they can simply go to jarrettstevens.com. That's J-A-R-R-E-T-T, Stevens with a V.com. This is John Clemens reporting. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news, a service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. You know, it can be frustrating to be a living member of society sometimes, but it is even worse if you're living but have been declared dead. Um, this is what happened to Jean Pouchan. She's 58 years old, lives in France, and she does still live in France, although she has been declared dead. Uh, a court in France declared her dead in 2017 following a long-standing legal dispute with a former employee at her cleaning company. She recently spoke to local reporters telling them that she has spent the last three years trying to actually prove that she is alive. She has dealt with being denied access to her joint bank account with her husband and son, as well as having an invalid identity card, an invalidated driver's license. Uh, health insurance has been a problem. It's nationalized health uh, insurance in most of Europe, and if you've been declared dead by the government, they're not going to pay your health insurance. The uh, ruling in 2017, four years ago, on her death was made, even though no death certificate was produced. She says she blames the judges involved with the initial ruling and her subsequent attempts to write things with this huge issue. Man, that's a that's a bad. You think you're having a bad year, um, and especially during the uh, pandemic. I mean, can you imagine trying to convince everyone? I am alive. <laughs> How do you prove you're alive if all of the documentation, all of your identity, you know, like your driver's license, your ID cards, 
have been invalidated because the courts have declared you dead. You talk about a uh, vicious circle there. Crazy. Another story from the international file. It is too bad that our pets can't speak to us sometimes. Russell Jones of London, England, recently broke his ankle, and then he noticed that his dog, Billy, was keeping one of his front paws raised while walking with him. He posted a video online showing the dog seemingly limping next to him as he as he walked using his crutches in his cast. Mr. Jones said he spent about $400 having Billy checked out for any serious injuries or issues of his own, but the veterinarian was unable to find anything wrong. Eventually, they determined <laughs> that the dog was imitating the way its owner was walking with his ankle broken. <laughs> he spent $400 to find out that the dog was just imitating him. <laughs> Mr. Jones says Billy has been limping since the day after he got his own ankle injury. So <laughs> He's just following his owner's lead. Some crazy Russians are going viral online for their attempt at a stunt video. They uh, drove their Nissan 350Z, pretty nice sports car, onto a frozen lake and proceeded to drive in tight circles while gunning the engine. That's right, they were doing donuts on a frozen lake in Russia. The first indication that something was about to go very wrong is, is that if you watch the video, the guy narrating the video is, is not wearing gloves which may, while he's holding the camera. So that may hint at the actual air temperature at the time. And sure enough, the ice cracks and the car plunges into the icy water. It wasn't cold enough to freeze the lake solid, but it was cold enough that you don't want to be in that water. Uh, <laughs> through the entire video, the uh, narrator just keeps on going blissfully unaware of the danger that his friend is in. The video continues to roll as the trunk of the vehicle pops open and the driver crawls out of the car like a freshly bathed cat. As soon as the driver makes it to safety, the rest of the car falls below the ice and vanishes, vanishes all while the narrator just shrugs in defeat. <laughs> if you need a good chuckle today, you can look that up online. Uh, a little closer to home domestically in the broken news this morning. You know, there's got to be a story out of Florida. And 30, uh, 31-year-old man uh, is recovering in the hospital after a fishing trip with a friend went horribly wrong. The Monroe County Sheriff's Office says while on a fishing trip, the man hid in the woods to scare his friend. He thought he would pull a prank on his buddy. When he jumped out from behind the tree... The other man reportedly pulled out his 9mm handgun and shot him in the stomach. <laughs> Oops! <clears throat> That's a prank gone wrong. First responders arrived, took the man to the hospital. He's recovering. Deputies say it is unclear if charges will be filed. <laughs> and finally, in the broken news this morning, Jackie Shower of Lake St. Louis, Missouri has been reunited with her missing class ring after it was purchased by a man in Texas for like $3.25. Uh, Jackie said her husband recently received a call from a man in Texas asking if he knew someone with his wife's maiden name. The caller, Richard Escobedo of San Antonio, said the ring was one of several he had purchased while on the hunt for his own missing class ring. And... 
since he found that one in in a lot of rings that he had bought at a uh, like a flea market, he uh, wanted to reunite it with its owner. Uh, Ms. Uh, Ms. Shower says the ring which she got at Morton East High School in Cicero, Illinois, still fits, uh, but only on her pinky. But that is that is pretty cool that this guy would go through the trouble of trying to hunt down the owner of the ring while he was on the hunt for his own ring. So hopefully someone will find his and return the favor. There you go. That is today's broken news, the odd and unusual side of the news this morning. Uh, Today's broken news report, a service, as always, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. WFIN thanks you for listening and reminds you to listen online around the clock at WFIN.com. Gordon Deal. Good mornings with Chris Oaks, plus Brian Kilmeade, Bill O'Reilly, Rush Limbaugh, and Dave Ramsey. Plus, you'll get all our locally originated sports programming. Listen live and grab our free mobile apps for iOS or Android at WFIN.com. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Interesting new uh, survey by the uh, Harris Poll, uh, folks. Harris Poll survey asked Americans about the actions that big tech companies like Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube have taken to deal with violent threats, hate speech, and conspiracy theories on their platforms in the wake of the uh, riot at the U.S. Capitol back on January 6th. Uh, You recall that uh, many of the platforms, well, Twitter kicked uh, Donald Trump off of its platform entirely, um, and other uh, platforms like Facebook and YouTube have uh, shut down the accounts of conspiracy theorists and uh, other outspoken voices. And that has not sat well with uh, many people who have started to ask the question of uh, what is the role of big tech? I mean, these are private companies, uh, but to what extent do they have a responsibility to allow for free speech, even when it is unsavory? The, uh, The poll finds more than one-third of Americans, 37%, say that they approve of big tech companies' crackdown on potentially harmful harmful or dangerous content. 28% say that these companies have gone too far, and 23% say they haven't gone far enough. So it's really interesting, uh, almost an even split across the board for those too much, not enough, or just right. Um, so bottom line is it appears that we just are not really sure at this point. And I guess that is, you know, just more evidence that these are very difficult conversations that we need to continue to have. Uh, older Americans were more likely to say that the tech companies have gone too far than younger Americans. 51% of Democrats say the companies are doing a good job compared with 25% of Republicans, which again speaks to the uh, partisan divide uh, along which uh, people believe that voices are being silenced. And whether that is uh, reality or perception really doesn't matter, because in this case, certainly perception is reality, but it is uh, certainly more likely that Democrats and younger Americans are more comfortable with the quote-unquote censorship of these voices than our older Republicans. Just under one-third overall 
32% agree with the statement that we are entering a period where big tech has too much power to censor voices they do not like. In today's Everyday Agriculture Report, as if we needed another reason to want to forget 2020, the final food price inflation figures for the year show the sharpest price increases on store shelves in almost a decade. USDA contributor Gary Crawford reports. If you need yet another reason to despise 2020 and to be glad it's gone, check last year's grocery bills. The latest consumer price index has the final 2020 numbers showing that food prices at the supermarket last year jumped higher by an average of 3.5%. And we haven't seen that level of food price inflation since 2011. Agriculture Department economist and food price tracker Carolyn Chelius. And that is actually 75% above the 20-year historical level of inflation. So 3.5% is big, and it seems even bigger considering that in 2019, grocery store food prices went up less than 1%, and 2018, less than half a percent. And of course, we know where to put the blame for the most part, COVID-19, which starting last spring caused... Bottlenecks in supply, where distribution systems that were formerly serving restaurant markets are now having to pivot to serve retail markets. There were also specific outbreaks in the meat sector that reduced output and then drove up prices. And yes, prices for some foods increased far more than that average 3.5%. The largest price increase was in beef and veal, 9.6%. With other meats not far behind. Pork increased 6.3%. Poultry, which increased 5.6%. Now, beef prices have been coming down over the last three months. So while the average increase during 2020 was almost 10%, if you look at December beef prices, they were 5.3% higher compared to December 2019. Pork prices really, though, have not come down as fast from last year's peaks. For example, pork chops ending 2020 at about 8.5% higher than at the end of 2019. And ooh, look at... uh, hot dogs. They are still 9% higher than this same time a year ago. Carolyn Chelius says she expects food prices to gradually drop down as we get further into 2021, but probably not below the 2020 average, most likely 1 or 2% above that average. Her official forecast comes out later this month. Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Governor, are you ready to take the oath? I am. Will you please raise your right hand and repeat after me? I, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Harry S. Truman, Mike D. Eisenhower, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, Lyndon Baines Johnson, Richard Milhouse Nixon, Gerald R. Ford, Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, George Herbert Walker Bush, William Jefferson Clinton, I, George Walker Bush, do solemnly swear, do solemnly swear, do solemnly swear, do solemnly swear, solemnly swear, solemnly, solemnly, solemnly swear, that I will faithfully execute the office, faithfully execute the office, faithfully execute the office, of President of the United States, President At noon today, Joseph R. Biden Jr. will add his name to the very exclusive list of individuals who have taken 
that oath of office repeated those words, become the 46th president of the United States of America. And then he will deliver the most significant speech of his lifetime. Some of the most iconic quotes about America and what it means to be an American have come from the inaugural speeches of U.S. presidents through the years. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. The orderly transfer of authority as called for in the Constitution routinely takes place as it has for almost two centuries, and few of us stop to think how unique we really are. In the eyes of many in the world, this every four-year ceremony we accept as normal is nothing less than a miracle. We are called as a people to give testimony in the sight of the world to our faith that the future shall belong to the free. Today we affirm a new commitment to live out our nation's promise through civility, courage, compassion, and character. Each of us must find a way to advance the purpose of the nation, thus find new purpose for ourselves. Without this, we will simply become a nation of strangers. We find ourselves rich in goods, but ragged in spirit. Reaching with magnificent precision for the moon, but falling into raucous discord on earth. We are caught in war wanting peace. We're torn by division wanting unity. We see around us empty lives wanting fulfillment. We see tasks that need doing, waiting for hands to do them. To a crisis of the spirit, we need an answer of the spirit. And to find that answer, we need only look within ourselves. The passion for freedom is on the rise. Tapping this new spirit, there can be no nobler, no more ambitious task for America to undertake on this day of a new beginning than to help shape a just and peaceful world that is truly humane. The first half of this century has been marked by unprecedented and brutal attacks on the rights of man and by the two most frightful wars in history. The supreme need of our time is for men to learn to live together in peace and harmony. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. Let every nation know that we shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, uphold any foe, assure the survival and the success of liberty. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. America is never wholly herself unless she is engaged in high moral principle. We as a people have such a purpose today. It is to make kinder the face of the nation and gentler the face of the world. My friends, we have work to do. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, 
Ask what you can do for your country. I ask you to seek a common good beyond your comfort. To defend needed reforms against easy attacks. To serve your nation beginning with your neighbor. I ask you to be citizens. Citizens, not spectators. Citizens, not subjects. Responsible citizens building communities of service and a nation of character. Our Constitution works. Our great republic is a government of laws and not of men. Here, the people rule. Today, we celebrate the mystery of American renewal. With God's help, we can and will resolve the problems which now confront us. And after all, why shouldn't we believe that? We are Americans. And that wraps up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. We are always on 24-7 on the World Wide Web. Coming up tomorrow, what you need to know before you file. Some very important information on how the coronavirus pandemic may very well affect your 2020 tax return. This is information you will not want to miss. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.